It's good to see everybody. I'm so grateful to see visitors in our audience and also grateful to see the members before you get any ideas. <laughs> We're going to talk today about the whole armor of God. I just want to make a claim that God would not send you into spiritual battle without everything you need to defend yourself. There's a couple of things that Paul equates being ready for. Number one, he says, be ready for the race. Right? You be ready for the race. Why? Because all Christians are in the race. And when you're in the race, you're either going to win, you're going to lose, or you're going to complete it, or you're going to drop out. And so when you're thinking about that, every Christian is going into the race and is going to be um, running the whole way. There's another sport that Paul talks about that was in the Isthmus Games. That's the first Olympic-type games that were given in, in the area of uh, Rome. And that is boxing. Paul said, I do not shadow box as I'm shadow boxing with no opponent not to win a prize. No, he knows that when he gets in there with the world that he needs to be able to defend himself and he needs to be able to have the tools it takes to be able to last in the race and to win the match. That's why when Paul is talking to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6, he's making his claim clear. This time he's using a different way. Not running, not boxing, but in a military might. And so in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, you'll see that Paul was making the claim. There is one Jesus. There is one church. There is one teaching or doctrine. There is one faith. There is one baptism. And he goes into it as if it's like the flag of glory. And that all of its people, the Christians that are in there, need to be able to prepare themselves to defend that flag. Not only themselves individually, but also the entire church. And it's important but what we see here is Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. He has just wrapped up how important the church is in Ephesians chapter 4. And in Ephesians chapter 5, he then makes the correlation that the church is the bride of Christ. And that the bride of Christ has to be pure, spotless, and perfect. Everybody wants a good wife, just like everybody wants a good husband. And they have expectations. Well, God has expectations for the church and the church is supposed to be the bride or the wife of Jesus Christ, who is the groom. They're supposed to know that they are a part of the one church, the one Christ, the one teaching and of the one God and the one faith and the one baptism. And to be there, you have to be pure, understanding what you're getting into in that marriage before you get there. That's why Paul was teaching in chapter four. The importance of the church, of God, of Christ and faith. That way, when you're ready to enter into marriage with the Christ in Ephesians chapter five, you will be a pure and good wife to Jesus Christ. Now, now that you're there, you're you're a, you're a bride of Christ. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter six. Finally. And the reason he's saying finally is because he has just laid out his discourse of the importance of the church, the singularity of Jesus, and the importance of being a great individual and congregation to the Lord as his wife. 
Now look at Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We need to be strong. That's the first declaration He's making there to Christians, understanding that they are the bride of Christ. You need to be strong because people are going to want to take you away from the church to tempt you into sin, to teach you to live a life that is not a life of purity. But the bride of Christ is supposed to be pure, so you stay strong. You stay strong in the Lord. That means everything you do, all you do in word and deed, you do all in the name of the Lord. You can see that in the book of Colossians chapter 3. You do everything you do by the authority of Jesus Christ. That's where your strength is. Your strength is inside Jesus, not in yourself. And so the way you are strong inside Jesus is understanding the teaching of Jesus, having it here in your mind, living your life by Jesus' teaching. That gives you power. And that power is the might of God. And it's important that Paul brings up power because you're going to need power in any kind of fight that you get into. And if you are a soldier for Jesus Christ, you need to have the right understanding to be with the right side, that is the Lord's side, and you have to have the right power. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Watch what it says. For it is the power. The gospel of Christ, that's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the teaching of purity in God's theology, the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. God's soldiers in Ephesians chapter 6 who are to put on the whole armor of God, put it on because we're to bring salvation to the world. We're to look different. We are to talk different. We are to be different. We're to raise our families different. We are to look and act like Jesus Christ. Now I see some of you looking like, this is impossible. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly as you grow. And you get stronger and stronger and better and better. But the power of God is in the gospel. And it's for salvation. Look at verses 11 through 12. Look what he says. In verse 10, he says, stand strong and know who you stand in, which is the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God. This is in part to putting on just a piece of the, the armor. Sure, you can read your Bible, but are you using it? You can live your life one way, but are you living your life that way everywhere? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, when you think about this, can you imagine being told today that you're going to war tomorrow and all they're giving you is a rifle and some packs of food? You couldn't imagine it. You're set up to lose. You don't have the training. You don't have all the gear. You don't have everything you need. Your mind's not prepared. Yet you're going to go out there with just a portion of the armor. But God is saying, I want you to have the whole armor of God that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. There's your enemy. 
That's the enemy of the church. That's Ephesians chapter 4. That's the enemy of a marriage. That's Ephesians chapter 5. And that's the enemy of salvation personally and as a congregation is the devil. So he is hitting you three different ways in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. You need to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And to do that, you need to have on the whole armor of God, not just part. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and in the heavenly places. We're in a spiritual battle. What kind of gear can you have? I joke with my kids and my kids say, well, one of my kids says, what are, what are we going to do? If, are you sure there's no ghost in here? There's no ghost in here. Well, what do we, what do, we do if there is a ghost? I'll shoot it. And he just looks at me and laughs. You can't shoot a ghost. Bet I could. I'm not saying I'm going to hit him or hurt him, but I will shoot. It won't do nothing. It's because it's a different type of war. It's a different type of problem. It's a different type of adversary. You see, the only way you're going to fight a spiritual adversary is with what God told us we can fight with. And that's the Word of God. To be able to withstand, to be able to stand strong. What do we need to do? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. There is no misunderstanding that the times we live in are evil. Um, the news is indoctrinating you one way or the other. Uh, people at your local stores are indoctrinating you one way or another. Teachers, some of them, because there's teachers here, I know are good, are indoctrinating children. <laughs> he gave me a thumbs up back there. They're indoctrinating people from a small age to, to the upper ages. And they're telling you the things that are wrong, that you know are wrong. And we don't have to list them. You know what's going on in our society. Those things that are wrong, that you know are wrong, they're telling you to believe that they are right. And if you don't believe they're right, you're a bad person. But when you think about that, you got to be able to stand in the evil day. you got to be able to call wrong, wrong and right, right. And the only way to do that is to have the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of salvation. Why? Because it teaches you about the death, burial, and resurrection, and it teaches you what is right and wrong, so you can know now what to do and what not to do, because that's what God wants you to do. But look at what it says. We know we're in an evil day, and having done all to stand. Now, let me ask you a question. Some of you play football, have played football. If you find out you have a weak spot in your game, you're going to train and train and train to get better and make that your strong section until you find another weak spot. And then you're going to train and train and train. When you're in baseball and you strike out a lot, you got two options. You're going to say, I'm horrible. This is not my sport. Or you're going to go take thousands and thousands of swings and hone in your skills and get yourself correct. Use all the fundamentals to be able to hit that baseball every single time. That's having done all. If you want to uh, be a lawyer, you've got to do all to go get it. If you want 
anything in life. You've got to do all. If you want to stand in that day, the evil day, you've got to do all. You've got to have strong will. You've got to be able to say no. The Bible says, Paul says to the Corinthians, that with every temptation, don't worry, God's going to give you a way out. The way out of temptation is to be able to say no. And then you'll stand. But what about girding yourself? That means to put your armor on. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. Stand therefore. You notice how he says stand, 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 stand. You have no option to sit or fall as a Christian. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Think about this. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. So if we have to stand, therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, now you're preparing yourself. In this time in the first century, when they would go to war, they would gird themselves. They would pick up their, their clothing to be able to have their legs move more freely, to be swift, to be quick, and to have an edge. So Paul is saying, spiritually, we need to be having the same thing. You need to prepare yourself. So what do I guard myself or gird myself with? The truth. And that is going to put on that breastplate of righteousness. You're going to be protected. Test all things. Hold fast to what's good. If you know the truth, you'll be able to know what's good. Look at John 8.32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, the truth that Jesus is talking about is the will of God. And the only way to understand what this truth is, is to study His Word. And this truth will make us free. And why do we stand for righteousness? Or how do we stand for it? In all things, even in our own lives. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the Word with all readiness. Now watch this. And search the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So you see, Paul is telling you, in order to be able to stand in the time where you would be struggling, in the time where the congregation would be struggling to understand what is right and wrong. You've got to prepare your mind. You have to be more fair-minded. You have to be willing to search the Scriptures. You have to be willing to say, is what I'm doing right with God? And don't just say that to say, is what I'm doing, is it right with God? Say it and mean it. Go study and see if what you're doing is right. And why is that important? Because Christians have the gospel. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, if you can imagine a Roman soldier, he's got the helmet, he's got the breastplate, he's got the sword, he's got the shield, he's got the right footwear. Even here, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You see, the gospel brings peace and hope. But when you think about being able to move actively, these Roman soldiers put on the right footwear to be able to move quickly and swiftly in battle. 
So he's telling you, put on your right footwear. Well, what is that? Let's read Romans chapter 10. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Watch this. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Now look at Ephesians chapter 6 and 15. Prepare your feet with the preparation for the gospel of peace. Understand the truth. Know the truth. Live it in your life. Take heed to yourself. That's uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. So that way you can preach the gospel and fight the good fight for Jesus Christ. And what is it? It's a spiritual fight. It's a fight to win people from a life of sin to a life of righteousness. And we are enlisted soldiers for Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible calls us, soldiers. And so we have to be prepared. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of priests. Now look what it says. Who bring glad tidings of good things. So think about that for a moment. Take the shield of faith. You know, we talked about the different areas that Paul uh, used for sports analogies. You think about running. You would not go running long distance with the wrong shoes. And if you did, you wouldn't make it. You wouldn't make it very far. The same thing with the shield of faith. You've got to be able to protect yourself. You wouldn't go running long distance without some sort of water apparatus to keep you going. The same thing when you, you have the shield of faith. You wouldn't go out into the world without a defense mechanism to be shielding yourself from the things that are coming. These shields were large. They were large enough for the Roman to stand behind and it would cover his whole body, head to toe. And arrows were not able to pierce the shield. We need to be like that. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. If you were to remove that shield, it's going to reveal all the vital organs of the soldier. The heart, the lungs, the liver, everything. But if you cover yourself, you're okay. And in reality... When you think about this shield of faith, nobody wants to go into battle in a way that you have left yourself open for attack. Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Look at the shield of faith. Now the faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Look at Romans 8, 24 through 25. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Now, when you think about this, think about protecting yourself. How do you protect yourself from going to hell? It's very simple. You got to know what the Bible teaches and do what it says. That's your shield. Now, what Paul is telling you is you take your shield with you. That's the faith, faith of the gospel that you have. Now, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans um, chapter 10. Now, when you when you see that, you take that shield with you and you're able to deflect 
But if you don't ever take your Christianity as a form with you, you'll never be able to stand. You'll always make bad decisions. And then you'll look back on those decisions and you'll think, I should have made a different choice. What about the helmet and the sword? Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You need to protect yourself. You need to protect yourself. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Look what it is, which is the Word of God. So the Word of God is the armor. He's summing it all up for us. So we could look at this, Ephesians chapter 6, and see the, the helmet and the breastplate and, and get the, the image of a Roman soldier. But in reality, what Paul is saying, the Word of God is your protection. The Word of God is everything you need to do battle against the wicked one, which he proclaims in six, chapter, chapter 6 and verse 10, is the devil. Now the devil comes in many forms. You think about that. He comes as a roaring lion. He comes as an angel of light. He comes in various forms in different ways. We need to be able to see Him coming. God wants you to succeed. Right? God is never going to send you into a war that you cannot win. And so He wants you to succeed. And in your life, you want to win. We, we have this understanding. Uh, we, we live in, in Texas. We, we live with the greatest state on earth, by the way. No cheers? Goodness. There you go. Um, we live in, in a place where we're taught however hard we work, that's what we're going to get. If you want to win, you work harder than everyone else and you will win. I'm going to tell you the same thing for Christianity. You want to win? You study harder than anyone else. You'll win. You'll win. It's no different than anything else. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God is living and powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the Word of God that is powerful. It's piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit. The Word of God can penetrate anyone to make them say, you know what, I need to live better. Maybe I need to change my life. What am I going to do? And it pierces to the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's why it's able to convict. It's able to convict you. It's able to change you. And it's able to protect you. That's the Word of God. First, you hear the Word of God. You realize that you're a sinner. You realize Jesus is the Son of God. Then you're added to Christ as you're repenting from your sins and being baptized. Uh, Christ, it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, that the Lord adds you to the church, those who are being saved. You're being saved, you're added to the church, and guess what He's going to do now with the Word of God? Now He's going to protect you. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20 as we close. Why, why does God have you set up with the armor of God, the whole armor of God? Now we could make this sermon like most every other sermon you hear on the armor of God. It's your individual armor to go out and to fight against the temptations of the world and to protect you in your salvation. While that is an aspect of this context, and the Word of God is going to be able to protect you, that's not the full context. 
Look at what the Bible is teaching. Verses 18 through 20. Those who have the armor of God, watch this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You protect yourself and pray for the saints. That's number one. And you're praying for the saints, plural, that's collective, that's the congregation of the Lord's people. You pray for the saints that they'll be able to stand, that they'll be able to be watchful, that they won't be able to be tricked, that they won't lose to the world. So you put on that to protect the church. Ephesians chapter 4, he talked about the church. Ephesians chapter 5, the marriage. Ephesians chapter 6, guess what? Individual Christians, protect yourself and protect the marriage and protect the church and protect all the Christians. In verse 19, And for me, the utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Well, I'm going to make known to you the mystery of the gospel because he describes that in other letters. The mystery of the gospel is that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and being baptized into him is both for the Jews and for the Greeks. No matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, He's going to save you. That's the mystery. So what is He saying? Put on the armor of God to protect God's people, to pray for God's people, and to boldly make known the mystery of the Gospel, to preach the Gospel to people, to tell them. Why do you live like that? Why do you make those decisions? Has nobody ever told you the truth? Let me tell you the truth about Jesus. Why do you agree with this type of lifestyle, that type of life? Have you not seen what the Bible says? Let me show you the truth. This is what we have to be prepared for. Paul would say it this way to Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Preach when they want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it. And you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. So you need to put the armor on, not for yourself only, because that's how we normally hear this context. You're wearing the armor walking around so the devil can't get you and it's just you. You're only worried about yourself. The Bible context is telling us there's a bigger purpose for you to have the armor. There's a bigger purpose. You protect yourself, you protect others, and you wear that armor so you can preach the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul went to prison for preaching the gospel. Still has his armor on. Why? That in it, in the gospel, in the gospel, in the armor, that in it I may speak boldly. Look what he says. As I ought to speak. You see, those who are given the armory have authority. When you think about that, you think about something happening and you'll see military guys on the side of the road. The last time I went to the valley, I saw a couple military guys on the side of the road. And you know what I thought when I saw them? Well, those guys have the authority around here. They run things around here. You see, when you're like that, you, you ought to speak boldly. You ought to know that you have the authority of God. And that's the truth of the Gospel. The truth of what the Bible says. And it is so easy to just get the Bible and say, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. But we fail to do that. 
because we don't realize that God is trying to prepare us for a long spiritual battle that He's putting on our armor, that He's given us everything we need to take care of ourselves, to take care of the church, and to bring others to the church. So when we look at it, we look at it in that context. The whole armor of God is to protect the whole individual, the whole church, and all those who are lost. This morning, if you are not a Christian, I'm telling you that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most special event that has ever happened on this earth. Jesus was crucified, He died, and He rose again. The Bible is not the only thing that confirms this. First century history, the historians write in the history books, multiples say the same thing. This Jesus, if you can call Him a man, died, and I saw Him come back. And I saw Him with His disciples. And they were called Christians. So we have this understanding that Jesus Christ defeated death from the cross. This horrible death came back. And then they were taught this. This is what the Bible teaches. That those who are willing to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. That's, that's Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Those who are willing to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins will be added to the church. And the Bible says, Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, that that church, those people are being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ because He takes that individual from baptism and puts them right into the church. Now listen, there's no time for hypotheticals. You always think in your mind, well, what if a person has lived his whole life in a... Well, what if you want a million dollars? Guess what? That ain't going to happen. There's no reason to live in hypotheticals. The reality is, is that every single person, and listen carefully, because I, I really want you to get this. Every single person in the New Testament that went from somebody who's not saved to saved, this happened to them. They heard the Word of God. They believed what they were being taught. They were baptized for the remission of sins. They were added to the church. And they were saved. And then it was up to them to live faithfully. Romans, I mean, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Listen, without a shadow of a doubt, every single person was converted that way. You know what you're not going to see in the New Testament? Somebody being saved in any other way outside of that. Every piece is important. We need to follow the gospel plan so we can put on the armor and help everyone to believe what they see in the Bible and not what people tell them. If anybody has any need of anything, come forward as we stand and as we sing.